Okay, so we are finishing uh, Deuteronomy 22. We might go to 23. I am not sure if we'll be there or not. Um, and I might continue on with Deuteronomy 22 next week to talk about um, a question that would logically come up when we think about this. Uh, Deuteronomy 22, 13 to the end of the chapter are all different laws about uh, sexual purity. And they, they help us see God's heart uh, about sexual immorality and the different, the different levels of the, the, the distinctions God recognizes in everyday things that happen related to sexual purity. So it's, uh, this is, um, this chapter makes a lot of sense. It's not hard to understand. And it, um, the, the distinctions God makes, make sense. So we'll pray and we'll, we'll take a look at what this says. And I have a question that I'm not quite sure uh, I'm not quite sure what the answer is yet, but if we finish in time, I'll bring it up and we can chat about it. And if not, I might bring it up next week. So, um, so let's pray and I'll, we'll go through it and then I'll ask my question. And unless someone brings it up first and then we'll, we'll just cover it then. So let's pray. Deuteronomy, what? Deuteronomy 22, starting in verse 13. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to know what your word says. Help us to want to be people who follow your word. Give us assurance that we have forgiveness uh, through your son in the new covenant and help us to um, help us to want to reflect your heart in our lives from our heart in spirit and in truth. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right. So we have a bunch of different scenarios. He gives, you know, Moses isn't trying to write you know, a list of what is every possible sexual sin that you could commit. And let me like explain what to do in every circumstance, but he just, he lays out some broad categories so we start with the first category um, in verses 13 and 14. And what's, what's I don't know if it's com comforting is the wrong word. What's interesting about every one of these categories we look at is we can all recognize because they still happen today. They might have happened in your life. They might have happened in the lives of people you know. But we know every single one of these categories because they transcend time. It doesn't matter when, when you read this. It's, it's applicable. So verses 13 and 14 is sort of category one. Suppose a man gets married and consummates the marriage, but subsequently despises his wife. He then spreads false claims about her to the point that she has a bad reputation because he said such things as, I married this woman, but when I went to have sex with her, I couldn't find any proof that she was a virgin. So what is this category? What's this guy's deal? What's going on here? He doesn't believe that his wife's a virgin. Is that really true? No, he, he, he might be a jealous type. The guy, the guy is lying. He's spreading lies because he wants to. He wants to divorce her. Oh, that's a deal. Like that. That that says he he got married. He consummates the marriage, but subsequently despises his wife. He then spreads false claims about her to the point that she has a bad reputation. He, he wants to get rid of her and he's looking for an excuse. And so he seizes on, you know, the, the sexual immorality clause as a, as a way to, to get the divorce that he wants. Cause that could mean death to her. So that's pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it can, but he doesn't care. All he wants to do is be free of the marriage. Yeah. So this is a real Prince charming of a guy, right? This guy's a real loser, yeah. um, a real nasty loser 
And there are still men like this today. So some things, some things never change. So, and then we get into this issue that I don't really need to go into about um, the parents. Man, the parents uh, bring proof that that the daughter actually was a virgin on her wedding wedding night. She hasn't been sexually promiscuous. This guy's a liar. So the point is not to talk about you know the, the the nature of the proof that the family brings. You can read it for yourself. But the point is the guy's lying, right? The guy is deliberately spreading lies about his wife because he wants to get out of a marriage and he just doesn't like her anymore. This isn't a guy who wants to love his wife. This isn't a guy who wants to 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 um, to grow together with his wife. He just doesn't like her. Um, and the marriage obviously hasn't been going on for a very long time. So for whatever reason, he's done with her. Do they even have a dowry those times? Yeah, sometimes. I'm not off the cuff. I'm not familiar enough with the with the requirements to talk very intelligently about it. Someone else might have all those things uh, the memorized or able to speak about them. But I mean, it's it's possible. What what we do know about this guy for sure is that he marries her. They're married a short time. He decides he doesn't like her and he wants to get rid of her. So he spreads these rumors about her that she's sexually promiscuous. He's just looking for an out to get rid of her. What are they um, in verses nineteen? I'll read verses nineteen to twenty to twenty one. So the parents bring proof. Um, no, the daughter is not sexually promiscuous. This, this man is a liar. They will find him 100 silver shekels, giving that to the young woman's father, because that husband gave one of Israel's virgin daughters a bad reputation. Moreover, she must remain his wife. He is never allowed to divorce her. So I'll stop there. That doesn't mean that she can't divorce him if he fails to provide um, if he fails to provide the love and care that is due her. It just means that he can't divorce her. Does that make sense? Unless she does something bad. Yeah, but I mean, he's, yeah, he's basically saying, you know, at this point, you know, you, you can't divorce the lady. She's done, she's done nothing wrong. Um, but if, if he does something wrong, she could leave him. And I'll go back to, I'll go back to Exodus 21.7. I mentioned this a few days ago. Um, but the, the divorce prescriptions were broader than just sexual immorality. And we're going to get to the part, the part where Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 24 in a week or two, and we can talk more about that. But in Deuteronomy 21.7, we read, um, so I'll start with verse 10. If he takes another woman in Exodus 21.10, I'm sorry. If he takes another woman for himself, he may not reduce her food, clothing, or marital rights. If he doesn't do these three things for her, she will go free without payment for no money. He's talking about a situation in which a man takes a second wife, um, which, again, it, it's not God's heart, but people are going to do stupid things. So in this situation, in Exodus 21, he says, if you do take a second wife, you're obligated to still provide the, the covenant responsibilities to your first one, which are in verse 10, food, clothing, and marital rights. And if he doesn't do these three things for her, she will go free without any payment for no money. She can simply walk. So what Exodus 21 
seven and you know for the next few verses shows us is that the husband is obligated to provide these rights to his spouse. If he doesn't, then there are grounds for divorce. Food, clothes. If you have a husband who is um, abusing his wife by not by by not providing any any uh, if they're in a situation where she doesn't work and he provides no support for her, makes her subsist on no money or very little money, and is starving her. And doesn't provide marital rights, which is more than just sex. I think I, for we can get into that in Deuteronomy 24, but I, I think it's talking about the whole matrix of love and affection and kindness that that goes along with being in a covenant marriage relationship. If you're if you're not doing those things, you have grounds to go. Not that you should use it as a get out of jail free card, but those are grounds to to initiate a, a divorce. So back to Deuteronomy 22, it's not saying that she's chained to this loser for life. It just means that he has no cause to divorce her. She can walk out on, she can leave him if he neglects her in one of the ways we talked about. Does anyone have any thoughts or want to chat about anything about that? Okay, fine. Non-controversial. I guess I'll save the controversy till chapter 24. Then we can talk about Jesus and adultery and when you can get divorced and stuff like that. Okay, verse 20. However, if the claim is true, so she is sexually promiscuous. She is an adulteress. You know, the guy wasn't a loser after all. He's telling the truth. The claim is true and proof of the young woman's virginity can't be produced. Then the city's elders will bring the young woman to the door of her father's house. The citizens of that city must stone her until she dies because she acted so sinfully in Israel by giving extramarital, having extramarital sex while still in her father's home. Remove such evil from your community. Imagine if they did that these days. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they did it very much then, even though it was a law. Um, I don't think every parent actually... I don't think the, I don't think society did that, even though it was in the law, um, all the time. But it was there. So what is? What have any thoughts about this? So this is the stuff the Muslims still believe in. They still stone people to death and stuff like that. I think so. I've, I've read that that's true. I don't know. If well, it's true. Every Muslim that, country does little, it. Well, I don't think it depends on what regions you're in. Yeah. So yeah, but you're you're right. It's the, it's the same sort of thing. Um, and this isn't just against women, because we're going to get to other scenarios where the man's at fault um, for being an adulterer, and he's going to receive the same punishment. So um, if you have an image, the reason why this passage is, is helpful is if you have an image in your mind of God doesn't like women, or God demeans women, or God holds women to a different standard, like some sort of purity culture standard <laughs> that men aren't held to, this passage shows that that's not right. And we're gonna to get to the other scenarios in a second. That doesn't mean it was enforced the way it was, that doesn't mean people have expressed God's, God's heart in that way, but. Is this just the way it was in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament since Jesus died on the cross then the sexual sin had been died for? 
um, paid for. Yeah, no, not quite. That, that's that's the thing I want to talk about once we get through this, because that, that's exactly the question I want to mention. Because um, what about the woman who's caught in adultery in John, the end of John 7 and in John 8? Yeah, they, they haul her before Jesus, and she was caught in the act of adultery. Um, and Jesus does not advocate stoning her. So is he contradicting what's here? Uh, and there's some other stuff. So I want us to think, if we can think about, has something changed? His God doesn't change. His heart doesn't change. So why? Yeah. Uh, when they were going before Pilate, and demanding the death of Jesus, but they said, we have a lot, well, we can't stone anybody or put anybody to death. They had to have permission from Pilate mm -hmm. at that point. Yet they stoned Stephen. And yeah. so there were things going on behind the scenes that Pilate wasn't aware of. And then when it came down to Jesus, it was a different thing. Now, now we have a law that says we can't, or they can't do capital punishment uh -huh. on their own. I was just trying to figure out how that would work in, in the New Testament. Yeah. It, well, the thing, the thing with Stephen is that was illegal. I mean, they just, it was just a mob action. Um, Jesus's was more, they're trying to more observe the niceties of the, of the law. Stephen was just a mob out of control. So. They were also trying to trap, trap Jesus. Yeah, Jesus was a way more important figure than Stephen, so they wanted to make his death public. Yeah. So they, they wanted to make him brain of his Make it have it an aura, aura of legality around it. So yeah, I want I want us to talk about the woman caught in adultery and other stuff um, later this morning or next week to think about this. Um, but here's scenario number two, and and I'll say this um, in verse at the end of verse twenty one. What's the last sentence that's there? Does someone want to read the last sentence? All right, this is. This is, we've seen this before in Deuteronomy. Your translation might say, purge this evil from your midst or, or something like that. But God doesn't use this phrase all the time. He only uses it for really particular things that he sees as particularly bad. Sexual sin is one of them. Um, disobedience to parents is, it, it is another with the, the rebellious son who, who is wicked in and wouldn't listen to his parents and couldn't be controlled. Um, so there's something particularly bad about sins where, where God ends his discussion by saying, purge this evil from your midst or, you know, get it out. And Paul uses the same phrase in 1 Corinthians 5 when he talks about incest in the, in the church. It's like, get it. there's something particularly awful about it that can infect everyone and ruin the whole community and it needs to be cut out like a like a cancer so god that means god feels really strongly about this if god calls something an abomination or if he says purge this evil from your midst it means it's really important to him so if you want to if you want to grade if you want to put sins on a scale some sins are worse than others this I is. That, I thought that all sin was the same, and God doesn't look at one sin different than the other. I don't know where that came from, but yeah. that's what I was always told. Yeah, every sin is the same in that it, it shows that we break the law, but some sins are some sins are worse than than others, like murder. Yeah, murder is not as bad as wearing fabrics that are mixed, you know. And we recognize that in our law, 
murder has a higher sentence than shoplifting some candy bars from the from the gas station. Yeah. Um, and God recognizes that because some punishment, we're going to see that here, actually. Some punishments are death and others are not. Well, ultimately, all sin is punished by death. Yeah. Christ died for us so that we can live with him and accept him. Yeah. All sins are equally condemning, like spiritually. Um, but in the Israelite culture, the laws that God made um, just in the society, some sins just got um, greater punishments than others. Yeah, I, I think that the, the reason why this is hard is this is what, what Ryan said is right. Um, every every sin makes you like a, a criminal before God unless you have Jesus. So in, in a sense, every sin is equal in that sense. But some sins are worse than others. So the punishment is, is different. Um, and I think that reflects God. That reflects how seriously God sees the sin, whatever it is. Um, he sees some things as worse than others. Some things are called an abomination. Others aren't. Some sins infect and ruin the whole community and need to be purged out or removed. And some don't. Um, so it's it's complicated, but we see the same thing in our society. So how does today. that how does how is it supposed to be in today's society? Like, um, obviously, we don't go out and stone people to death. Yeah, and actually, sexual sin is there's nothing wrong with it in America. Yeah, I I think the 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 punishments that we see in the old covenant, we don't need to enforce them. Um, but we can still take the fact that God does see certain sins as worse. Well, I, the reason why our society sees murder as worse is because we, we know that it is worse. I, I think what we can, I think what we're supposed to do with the sins we see in the old covenant is we don't need to enforce the punishments, but we do need to take this serious. We need to take this, the seriousness God gives to sins and to, apply it in the same way. Sexual sin is not a silly and stupid thing. It's a serious thing, which is why Christians have always been concerned about sexual ethics. It's not because we're just a bunch of prudish weirdos. God thinks sex is important, so we think sex is important. Um, God thinks human life is important. We think human life is important. Abortion, uh, for example. So it doesn't say in the Bible that you can't abort a baby, but they didn't use that back yeah, they did. Do they say that? Uh, no, it doesn't say you can't abort a baby. Uh, it does talk about how human life is sacred, and if you take a life, it's wrong. And there's passages in the Psalms and in other places where David refers to himself as a person who is in his mother's womb, and a baby as a, as a living, as a real person in the mother's womb. Um, John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist leaped, leapt in in. Uh, uh, when John the Baptist and G when Mary and Elizabeth came together to meet in Luke chapter, chapter, chapter one, um, John the Baptist leaped in, in Elizabeth's womb when Mary spoke, or it could have that reversed. But anyway, that's what happened. So John the Baptist was a, was a real person in, in Elizabeth's womb. He left when he heard Mary's voice because it was the, 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 the mother of the savior, his cousin, his younger cousin. So you're, you're sort of drawing a conclusion. Like the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not do heroin, right? It doesn't say. You say stuff about alcohol. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, you have to like, you have to draw some logical conclusions and apply it to, to culture today. It also says that doesn't say anything about speed limits. What if you struggle with sexual sin, just like people struggle with drugs, they struggle with sexual sin. Yeah. Um, and they're saved. Does that mean since it's so such a serious offense, is that, is God just going to punish you super bad or is he? No, no. I think uh, no matter what it is, like you can take homosexuality, you can take transgenderism, you can take anything there is. Uh, if you're a Christian, um, struggling with sin is, is normal. What's not, I mean, it, it's, I'm not saying it's, it's accepted, but a Christian should be fighting against sin, whatever their particular sin is. The, where God, where God becomes, where God's attitude changes toward more of judgment is when you don't care to fight anymore and you claim to be a Christian, but you don't care about trying to live the way Christ wants you to live. Um, then, then you have a problem. What if you care, but you still struggle? I think that's fine. You're supposed to struggle. You're supposed to fight and struggle and push and actively struggle and push to, to conquer and fight against sin you're, but you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to give into it and make it your and make it your identity. We're not perfect. We yeah. We still sin. So yeah. The, the key question is: Are you fighting against it or not? This is wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual. There's a wrestling match going on. There's a battle. Yeah. 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 That's the distinction. Are, are you fighting against the sin or not? A Christian will want to fight against it. Some weeks are more successful than others, but a Christian will want to fight against it. A Christian will not make excuses um, or say they're a Christian and not care and continue to engage in it or pretend that Jesus is happy with it. A Christian will fight against it, knowing that that's not God's, that's not God's will for them, if that makes any sense. I looked at like Jeffrey Dahmer and... Like I watched his his story on on TV, and he did all kinds of horrible, horrible sexual sin that in our eyes and human eyes. But when he went to jail, he became saved and uh, got baptized in there. Okay. And I believe in my heart, I believe he went to to heaven because the jailers that jailed him and stuff like that said he was really sincere and turned from his mm, okay turned from his wicked ways he was still killed yeah but yeah i believe he was saved just because yeah it's certainly possible you know jeffrey dahmer is like not quite up there with hitler but i mean everyone knows jeffrey dahmer um, well you should look him up um, or maybe not. Don't don't look him up. Um, but um, God can save anybody, and if he sincerely repented and uh, while he was in prison and accepted Jesus, then certainly he can be he can be saved. Whether he is or not, I'm not sure. Um, I wasn't there. I don't know. Uh, God knows, and I'll, I'll leave it to him to you know to figure out. But um, okay, scenario number two, verse twenty-two. If a man is found having sex with a woman who is married to someone else, both of them must die. The man who is having sex with the woman and the woman herself removes such evil from Israel. So what's the scenario here? What verse is that? 22. Uh, Exodus, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 22, 22. Man discovered committing adultery. He, both the and the woman must die. 
Oh, the woman that he's committing adultery with. This way, pretty woman. So, what's the scenario here? Man's having uh, committing adultery with another woman. Um, both of them are to die. Yeah. So this both are equally at fault. Yeah. This is mutually consensual adultery, right? This isn't a guy who's lying about. Uh, uh, this isn't a woman who just lied about being sexually pure. This is two adults who are consenting into adultery. Both of them are sentenced to death. Both of them, not just the woman. There's no double standard here between men and women. Um, and the double standard that we still see in our society today where a woman's considered wickedly immoral. Uh, uh, women are held to a double standard regarding sex that men aren't. Um, you know, women, women can sometimes be seen as, as awful and uh, other words you can think of because they have sexual partners, but a man who has multiple sexual partners is has a great reputation and is, a, and is an amazing guy and all the guys want to be like him sort of thing. There's a double standard in public in, in public morality with women and men's sexual ethics. God has none. Two consenting adults consenting into adultery, both of them are sentenced to death. But in their culture, there was an exception, it seems, because when Mary was uh, wiping Jesus' feet with her tears in her hair, mm -hmm. and they were saying, does he even know what man or woman this is? Everybody else knows. So there must have been some kind of something in society to allow prostitution. You know, uh, they would reject the sin themselves. They still allowed it in their midst. Yeah, but we have a... So there's a few things there. One is we don't know that the woman who washed Jesus, unless I'm totally mistaken, I don't think we know for sure that the woman who washed Jesus' feet was a prostitute. Um, everyone assumes she was. Maybe she was, but we're not quite sure. The second thing is that there's a, there's a disconnect between what God's law says and what real life was like. Judah, in uh, one, of, uh, one of Jacob's sons in Genesis 38, he just casually has sex with, what, with who he thinks is a, is a cultic prostitute as he's going about his business. And he finds out it's his daughter-in-law actually afterward, which is sort of a big oops. Um, so there's all, kinds of, there's all kinds of messed up people. And there's all kinds of this... No matter what the law says, people didn't live up to it, right? People yeah. were not like this. David's son should have been stoned. He raped his sister. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Samaritan woman, too. I mean, everybody knew who she was. Yes, they did. Yeah, the Samaritan woman. So we see God's heart. We see the seriousness that he takes this. But Israel, if we think that Israel just implemented it by rote, by letter all the time, we're really kidding ourselves because they didn't. Whether that's right or wrong, we're going to talk about when we talk about the woman caught in adultery probably next week. But I want us to think about what we're supposed to do with that. I think the best use we can get of these laws are to see God's heart for ethics. What is right and what is wrong? God sees sexual sin as being very serious. God sees Consenting adults who both consent into sexual immorality is being in grave sin. So when we think of our lives, now that Jesus has come, we think of our lives, we think of our church, we think of what do these things mean in real life? God takes sex very seriously. 
That's what we need. That's the biggest thing we need to take from this, not to talk about how and when they actually applied and stoned people to death. It's not saying it's not important. It's just, that's not the thing I think we should be thinking of. God takes, God wants his people to act holy because he's holy. And for God, sexual ethics are one of these, these real important things. And we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about some of that uh, also next week. So that's scenario two, consenting adulterers, both parties consent. We get to 23 and 24. If a young woman who is a virgin is engaged to one man and another man meets up with her in a town, this is important, in a town and has sex with her, you must bring both of them to the city gates there and stone them until they die. The young woman, because she didn't call for help in the city, and the man, because of the fact that he humiliated his neighbor's wife, remove such evil from your community. What if she did call for help and just nobody heard her? So, yeah, we have to we have to sort of think carefully about what's going on here. So clearly she has to die because it's in a city. There's people every, if we're not talking about New York City, we're talking about small villages. There's people around. If she screams for help, someone will hear. So no one heard. She must not have screamed for help. It must have been consensual. So we have to look at, like, if you're going to implement, so let's think about this. If you were an Israelite elder, okay, in the town of whatever, and you have a situation uh, like this, what would you do to make sure to figure out if she called for help? What would you do? Look and see where she was raped at and see if, You'd be able to hear from where she was right Or talk to witnesses, right? Talk to the people who live around. Where did it happen? Talk to people. And if no one remembers hearing anything, and that there's no indication that anyone called for help at all, it was all quiet on that Friday night, and everyone was inside uh, watching watching Netflix or Amazon Prime, and no one heard a thing. And there's no evidence to suggest she called out for help in the midst of a city then. You have two consenting adults committing adultery, and they're both put to death. Any thoughts? Anyone disagree with? With uh, I, dis- not- I, de- I disagree only if, like, because even if you're in in a city mm-hmm. these days, guys come in and cover the girl's mouth and choke them and stuff like that. What if they can't make a sound because they're being raped you know that that would be a situation where that would suck (laughs) yeah so this is this is the best way i think we could think about it i think that generally he's saying if there's no if, if there's no evidence that um there was a struggle and the woman tried to call for help then the evidence suggests it's consensual but I think that calls for a lot of wisdom on the part of the elders who investigate. And I'm sure that there were laws that were developed to figure out how to, like, how to make this work. And in real life, that's the way it happens. You have the, I've said this before, so I don't know how boring it is, but you have the revised code of Washington, which are the laws, right? When I, my work as a state investigator, we have uh, revised code of Washington, Title 48, which is the insurance code. You have all of these laws in a book that's like 500, 600 pages long, all these laws. 
but the laws don't cover every scenario. They just state something and you're like, okay, so how do I apply this in real life? So you have the Washington Administrative Code that explains how to apply the law. So you have, you have a statute that says, and if you sell an annuity, it has to be suitable. And you're like, and it has some description of what it means to, for an annuity to be suitable. And you're like, well, I got other questions. I mean, what, am I, what else am I supposed to look for? The administrative code explains more about how to make the law work. And so here you have a statement. Just the principle is if there's no evidence that the woman called, if there's no evidence that there was a struggle and that it wasn't, it was by force and it's in a city, then you have the sentence. So I think there had to be some sort of investigation going on and wisdom applied by people who aren't just applying the law with like, with like this blunt, it says what it says, I have no choice, bah, sort of attitude. Well, on the other hand, I mean, you, you have to consider that people who are, are looking at the law, doing the investigation, just an example of a lawless assist taking place all across America and, and all of the leaders and officials turn their heads and say it's a piece of protest for the burning down buildings, including, mm-hmm. but they're saying, well, that's okay. So to, even the people in the legal end of it, uh, the law, turn their heads or blind eye to certain things. And we see it as injustice. We see it as illegal, but they're the ones that are in charge. So there's not much we can do other than vote and wait. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't help a lot. But So I'm trying to think of the minds of the people who you're talking about. I have to look at the evidence, weigh it, and decide, you know, if this is good or bad. So, uh, you know, we, there's certain things we see that are you know, obviously, mm-hmm. this is wrong. This should be taken care of. Yeah. And maybe even in their day, that was another case. I know that higher officials in the Old Testament, people, kings and leaders, did things and they got away with it, it seemed like. <clears throat> the people on the lower end generally don't. Um, so there's, it seems to be this injustice. And that's been going on from time to eternity. You know, it's just, it's, it all depends on who's in charge and and whether yeah. or not they're willing to apply the law or them to turn their eyes to let it go. Yeah. Which we as believers, you know, we, we know that God sees all these things. We look at God as our judge, even though if we may go through the court system and be found guilty and sent to prison for 20 years and, and let out because we didn't do it. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. Um, so basically, as a believer, I guess we have to just sort of uh, look at what God has for us and and see how he applies it in our own individual ways. This, of course, we're talking about the, the hierarchy, the legal system. The yeah. Legal system. There's people asking me, they would, you know, about the law. Do you keep all the law? Or which laws of the Ten Commandments do you keep or don't keep? You know, and then when Jesus comes along and says, well, you know, I took care of all that. Yeah, right. It's just kind of an easy out. But, and, Moving too far ahead, but anyway, I was just talking about the legal system. Mm-hmm. Uh, they conveniently either turn their head because maybe they're guilty of it. We look at our president and his brother, we see all the evidence on TV, what's going on there, and we all say, Well, he's guilty, you know, and it's, and it's his brother. And, and well, the media just turns their heads and says, Well, that's okay, you know, for him. But if Trump does it, 
don't want to get into the political thing, but I'm just saying certain people who they don't like, they apply the law, and certain people who they do like, they turn their heads. Yeah, it's certainly true that um, you know, any justice system can become corrupt and worthless, and the prophets talked about that all the time. Uh, they they use the laws of pretext to, uh, to oppress people and abuse the, the 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 weaker people in society and all sorts of other awfulness. Um, it says when a government becomes evil, it will have many leaders. Many, um, if a government uh, becomes evil or wicked, it'll have many leaders and. Sounds like a proverb. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's one of the proverbs. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The um, you know, the, there's all sorts of questions that could come up about you know how do they actually apply this? And I understand what Ryan said about you know, it sounds it sounds sort of you know, what if they get it wrong? Um, I think I think those are good questions to ask. But I think what we need to take away from this is that God. God is reasonable and God sees our hearts and God recognizes degrees of sexual sin. And he recognizes when someone's culpable and when someone is not culpable. And what he's trying to do is give general guidelines to God's people on how, how do they enforce sexual purity among the people in an imperfect way while they wait for Jesus to come to fix this world so they can, so everyone will live love God and live according to his law, not out of compulsion, but because they love him. And this is a, no matter what, no matter what guardrail you look at all through Deuteronomy, these are imperfect ways to keep people sort of hemmed in so they don't burst out and just go everywhere um, and do all sorts of craziness. So if they applied this, you know, verse Deuteronomy 22 verses 23 and 24, if the Israelites ever applied this strictly, is it possible they could get some of it wrong because people lie or because the judges are idiots or because they did a shoddy investigation and didn't try and make sure that, yeah, it's, it's possible. It's possible now. Uh, people are incarcerated all the time for crimes they didn't commit uh, because of corrupt prosecutors, stupid police, or a combination of both. Um, and a juries that just don't want to believe that the police could ever get anything wrong. Another way is a woman could accuse a man of rape like they do these days, and it may not have happened. And if it was in the country, the guy would die. That's what my mind thinks. I just I think of all the loopholes. It's, yeah, it's, it's possible. I think every system's going to be messed up. Every system's going to be imperfect. Um, he's just trying to put, he's just trying to put some boundaries on, um, on how they're supposed to try and enforce these things. And you look at this one for oftentimes he's referring to the law. I love the law. We're going through the, the songs right now and how, how much he loves the law and makes the law his mm -hmm. love. He meditates on it day and night, lives according to it. Yeah. Uh, so the law is good. It's just evil in our hearts can corrupt it. That's sort of like what Paul said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're you're right. So that, that's scenario three, all right, scenario four, verse 25 to 27. But if the man met up with an engaged, with the engaged woman in a field, so in the country, away from the, the village, grabbing her and having sex with her there, only the man will die. Don't do anything whatsoever to the young woman. She hasn't committed any capital crime. Rather, 
This situation is exactly like the one where someone attacks his neighbor and kills him. Since the man met up with her in a field, the engaged woman may well have called out for help, but there is no one to rescue her. So here we have, we basically have a rape allegation. Um, and there's no possible way she could have called for help. There's no possible way anyone could have heard her. And I'm sure there's more to it than that. But generally what he's trying to say is in a situation like this, um, the man who's the, who's the suspect needs to be punished with death. The woman doesn't need to be punished at all. Anyone have any thoughts on that? Very exciting. Yeah, that was the only thought I had is false allegations could come out of that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they could. Um, I definitely think they could. Verse 28. If a man meets up with a young woman who's a virgin and not engaged, grabs her and has sex with her and they're caught in the act, the man who had sex with her must give 50 silver shekels to the young woman's father. She'll become his wife because he's humiliated her. He is never allowed to divorce her. So what's the situation here? They had premarital sex. Oh. And then um, the, it's the same terms used inside um, the one in the country. The only difference is that this person's not engaged. This is like um, this is like those shotgun weddings you hear about, where if you um, if you've had premarital relations with one another, you know, the dad gets a shotgun and says, marry her or I'll kill you. You've got no choice now sort of thing. Um, seems to come directly from this, whether, they're, whether the guy with the shotgun realizes it or not. I wonder if that kind of thing ever still happens. But anyway, um, he's never allowed to divorce her. That doesn't mean she can't divorce him if he fails to live up to his obligations. So I think we still have that. So why... Um... If he um, rapes her, why does no? This he, isn't rape. This is consent. It's using the same. It's using the same um, terms. That he grabbed her and had sex with her. Why does he only have to yeah, pay fifty shekels? Why does he only have to pay fifty? You know, to be to be honest, for some reason I didn't even look up this this scenario, and I have no idea why. So she's not married or engaged. Let's see. What do you guys think? It does say he grabs her. Mine doesn't say that. Mine just says. Yeah, the ESV says he seizes her. The NLT. Well, aren't there um, other verses about just consensual? Like uh, elsewhere in the law? It just says they should both die. Yeah, I, I always, for some reason, I always took it to mean, um, I always took this one to be referring to just a consensual premarital relationship. Um, the New Living Translation doesn't have seizing. It just presents, suppose a man has intercourse with a young woman who's a virgin, but is, but is not engaged to be married. This is my old, uh, I think it covers both scenarios. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. I just, I just don't remember off the top of my head. The Net Bible says rapes, which is where Lucas no, is getting that from. Says too. Um, the King James Version says he lays hold of her. Um, the Revised Standard seizes her. Um, an old British translation from the 60s forces her to lie with him. The NIV has rapes her. Okay, in my version has grabs her. 
So, and Tim suggests maybe it could mean both. I just, I need to look it up, to be honest. I failed you guys. I just, for some reason, I just skipped over that. I didn't even look it up at all. Mine says, suppose a man has intercourse with a young woman who is a virgin, but is not engaged to be married. Yeah, yeah, I think you have the New Living Translation. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Um, I'll look it up and I'll get, if anyone is really interested, I'll get back to you guys next week. I just don't, I just don't have an answer right now. Yeah, I don't really know what the, I don't really know what the Hebrew is for all that. Like, if there are different words. Yeah, I'll look it up. Um, well, the penalty, the idea is now he's not killing anybody. Now he has to pay money and, and marry the woman. It's totally different than the... And now the woman has to write a rape yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure what's going on. That's why I, that's why I was, for some reason, I was just thinking that this is just a consensual premarital situation where they're, I can't imagine God making a woman marry her rapist. So I'm going to look this up. It's very interesting. Um, yeah. I'll look it up. I failed you. I got, I got nothing. So. Yeah, that's right. If, if this is the burning question in your mind, I'll, I'll do my best to answer it, um, to answer it next week. Um, we have seven minutes left. What should we do? Um, verse 30 is pretty self-explanatory. No, I'm not going to say verse 30 for something else. So this is what I'll do. So what do we do? What do we do with the woman caught with how Jesus treated the woman who caught adultery? He said he doesn't judge her. Yeah, he does say that. So is there a, why does God's law in Deuteronomy, why does Jesus seem to contradict God's law in Deuteronomy? Or does he? Because Jesus is God, and he's going to die on the cross, forgiving all that sin. Yeah. Well, isn't it debatable that this that passage is even part of the Bible at all? I'd have to bring that up right now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. But, I mean, uh, yeah. in, in the Old Covenant, you could have forgiveness for sins, too. It just wasn't, like, it's like taking a shower. You can get clean, but you're going to get dirty again. But Jesus is God, so um, he can ultimately forgive sins completely and I know. So let's, we'll, we'll think about that in a second. So in the old covenant, you could have forgiveness for sins, but for some reason, um, well, it doesn't say you can't be forgiven. It just says the word forgiveness and punishment are different things. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer may well have accepted Christ, but he was still punished for his sins and died and was executed. Um, he was, you're right. You're right. Well, I, well, well, I suppose you it's the same thing in one respect, but yeah. Okay. So just because God, just because God's law says someone needs to be executed, doesn't mean that they're going to hell. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't forgive them. That's it, punishment. it just means there's a punishment. So you could still be forgiven for your crimes, unless it's just deliberate and you don't care. And there's no repentance. You could be forgiven for your crimes in the old covenant too. But why did Jesus not say, you're right, she does need to die. I forgive her, but she needs to die no, in John 8. Because uh, he drew the circle in the sand and was doodling, and he asked them, you without sin, cast the first stone. Mm -hmm. And they all slowly dwindled away, so there was nobody left to charge her, because they had all done some of the same things. So what's Jesus's point then? So, I mean, but still she did it, right? I know that everyone's hypocritical and no one's perfect, but she still, she was caught in the act. She still did it. So why didn't Jesus uphold Deuteronomy uh, 22? Came to her to bring in the new covenant of the 
fulfill the law. He, I guess he was like fulfilling it just as he came to earth. He was being fulfilled. So, but her, this has nothing to do with her sins being forgiven. We're talking about punishment. Punishment. The punishment is still the punishment. So, and I'm, I don't, I don't have an, I, I'm not prepared to like answer and give like this, this long answer right now because I'm still thinking about it. Um, why does Jesus not affirm that that's a correct punishment? Or does he? He's using it as a teaching moment. Okay. He knows people who were there are all guilty of the same sin. And they were trying to test. be stoned too. But they were trying to test Jesus to see what he would say. And like you said, he, he forgave sin, which he could do. He's done that before. And he said, who's this man to forgive sin? Which was one reason why they wanted to kill him as well. It's kind of a teaching moment. He knew their hearts, and they also knew they were all guilty of sin. Yeah. Like you say, he could forgive sin, which he did. But it's not the the general law. I think uh, he would have upheld the law otherwise. But he said this is a good opportunity to convict them all. By law, you all are dead. But I'm going to forgive this woman and and they all dropped their hearts. And it was set up as a trap to trap him. Yes, that's Because they were looking for ways to get rid of him. Yeah. You know, there, there's a whole bunch of things going on here. And it really, that's why we can, we can think about it and talk more about it next week. Uh, if you do want to jot some things down so we can talk about it. But Tim's right. And Ralph's certainly right, too, is that. These guys are not sincere, like they're not sincere people who love God, who are saying, I can't believe, I can't believe that we have someone who hates God so much as this woman in our midst. These guys just, they're using her as a prop. They don't care about her. They don't care about what she did. It says in John um, 8, 6, they said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. So these guys aren't operating because they love God. They're a bunch of hypocritical losers who are just trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus knows she's just being used as a prop. So I think that's why he responds the way he does. He actually doesn't answer their question at all. Like, do you know people who are really good at not answering questions like politicians? Like you ask them a question and they actually don't even answer it. They just say something else. Jesus doesn't answer the question. They asked him, in the law, John 8, 5, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? He never answers it. The great politician. So he's like, he just said, uh, um, whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. You know, to shame them because he knows they're not there because they love God and are outraged. They're just, they're just trying to trap him. And so they they angry because they've been caught. They just sort of slink away. And Jesus, uh, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? She said, no one. The witnesses left. You're supposed to have two or three witnesses. Witnesses all melted away. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, don't sin anymore. So Jesus uses a legal tactic as well. He's like, hey, I guess you can't be stoned. There's no one here to act as a witness and accuse you. So I guess you can go. Ha ha ha. Don't sin anymore. Um, so there's something else there too that we miss is if she was caught in adultery and they brought her, mm-hmm. like where's the man? <laughs> yeah, where is the man? This is this is very true. Uh, that's very true.
Because again, they, they, they don't really care about justice. They, they don't care about what God thinks. They only care about she's maybe she was the most convenient prop to drag uh, to drag before Jesus. So what's really funny is Jesus doesn't answer their question and he lets her go according to the law because there's no witnesses. So he's like, I guess you can go, wink, wink. Um, so it's so funny how he, he upholds the law by letting her go. And he got rid of the witnesses by not answering their question, but asking them if they've ever, you know, which one of you is just perfect. Uh, well, get in line and grab the first stone and they all melt away. So it's very, so I want us to think about the difference, but still I want us to think about the difference between Jesus's attitude toward the woman and God's attitude in Deuteronomy 22, because to the Pharisees, and we're done, I know we're one minute over because to the Pharisees eyes, who are very legalistic, it says what it says, they would expect the Messiah to be full of indignation and be really angry at this lady, but he's not. Is what's, Why is there this difference? And then last thing I'll throw up and I'll pray. Joseph, when Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, his first thought is to break the engagement privately because he doesn't want to shame her. And Joseph is called a good man for doing that. He's a good man for ignoring what the law says. He doesn't want her to get executed. So he... but why is that good? Why is that good? If he loves Deuteronomy, he should want her to die. Because he really loves her. So yeah, th that's the things I want us to think about. Um, it's interesting. If he was a pious Jew, I mean, if we just want to be like block, I don't know, blockheads is rude. If we just want to be blunt, in literalist, we'd say, well, if Joseph loved God, he'd want Mary to be executed. Well, she wants, she didn't actually break the law, but I know. Looks like she but he's still called good because he's like, I got a situation here. I love her. Let's just break it off quietly. And then we're not going to tell anyone about the reasons. So anyway, we'll talk about this next week. And we'll talk about, <laughs> Lucas mentioned how the passage of the woman caught in adultery, it's probably set off in brackets or with some huge footnote in your Bible because there's a question about whether it's original. We'll talk about that. But I really just want us to think about, is there a disconnect between Jesus's view of the law and Deuteronomy? And to think about God's heart for this stuff. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Please prepare our hearts and minds for the worship service to come. Please uh, bless us and help us to want to reflect your heart in our lives because we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.